You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Yes, sir. Let's yeah. get it. Let's get after it. How are you, Michael Moss? Good, brother. Good, good. What's going on? It's pretty windy out there, eh? Is it? Yeah. I wouldn't know, but... <laughs> <laughs> not windy out there at all. Yeah, it's fucking hell at my house. Nah, what's going on with me? I fucking thought my dog was going to die yesterday. She was pissed in her bed and she was quivering and whatever. I fucking had to take a day off work. I was pacing around the house real bad. And I think I just fucking worked myself up into a like a, a state of anxiety. And I tried to go to bed and I just started having them nightmares again and fucking all that That's shit true. started kicking. So I've had a shit night's sleep. My dog's actually all right, but I just a little reminder to fucking look after me mental state and fucking... Hey, motherfucker, it can all go sideways at any fucking minute. So. Yeah, you sounded pretty cut last night when you were talking to me about yeah, it. Yeah, I was fucking, I just worked myself up, just all day, just going over and over and yeah, over and over. what it was. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, she just heard it back, apparently, so hopefully she comes. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I thought she had cancer. I oh, yeah, that's the first thing we always think, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Mind you, you this dog's already fell out of a fucking two-story building. No way. And survived. Yeah. <laughs> and survived, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, so she's probably already got a pre-existing injury, but, you know, that just adds to it. Anyway. All right. Hell well, hell. today's guest, we've got uh, <coughs> one of the most, well, one of the best in Australia for MMA and striking coaches and one half of the boys behind Steel City Boxing, Mr. Rich Faggerty. Oh, Fogarty. <laughs> Faggerty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been no. called worse. I've been called worse. <laughs> hey, I'm a filthy animal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm always filthy, bro. <laughs> I'm all good, bro. All good. Thanks for having me, boys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming no, in, bro. Appreciate it. Beers and, and talk and stories. I love stories. Yeah, fucking A. Yeah. And we're going to hear some, aren't we? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have a couple of oh, Depends on what I've signed. Have I signed anything? <laughs> no, no, nothing, mate. No, oh. Everything's off the record, isn't hey, it? Yeah, That's the streets. The street. Uh, nah, it's good, good being here, boys. Thanks for having us. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'll start the interviews <laughs> off. <laughs> we change roles in a right, yeah. So before we get going, we're just going to do a shout out to our sponsor, Swap Bins, for the best price on both two and three cubic metre skip bins in the Newcastle and Lake Macquarie area. Contact Swap Bins on 0478 1013. What's that say? 893. 893. <laughs> yeah. And also, if you're looking for a new surfboard, uh, hit up SLD Steel Lewis Designs for the best custom surfboards going around on the East Coast. I've personally got one myself, and great time in the shed and an even better board. So get you can find the boys on SLD Surfboards on Instagram or Dusting Glass. Woo! Yeah, yeah. got paid. Time to get laid. Yeah, oh, right. how we make our money? Yeah, yeah. Ask the questions. Damn, if it was getting laid, I'd make money. I'd be broke. <laughs> broke. <laughs> I got one the other day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm married, bro, so that's a big deal for me. <laughs> uh, I thought you were single like me. I was like, you nah. lucky bastard. <laughs> Not me, though. Oh, but anyhow. Right, yeah, let's get into this. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. You know your boy born and bred, are you? Or um, oh, uh, born in Sydney. Yep, born in Sydney. And um, mum and dad owned sort of hotels most of our lives. So uh, Newcastle for me was 1977 through to 80. Oh, true. Yeah, we own the uh, Criterion Hotel yep. on uh, Islington there on the main drag. I think it's a, the Gay and Lesbian Pub. I think it's still the Gay and Lesbian yep. Pub. And uh, I mean, uh, I'm just guessing. I just yeah, <laughs> yeah. <no. laughs> Mossy knows. Oh, that's Friday night. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. So mum and mum and dad uh, leased that and owned that for three years, and that's where my brother and and I grew up and had some. Uh, that's where we got introduced to. Uh, the violent world of pub brawls and glassings and bikey gangs and all the rest of it. So uh, that's where we thought violence was a normal way of life. Typical night out from where we're from. 100% now. I've worked it <laughs> out, yeah. Whereabouts in Sydney? 
Uh, I was born in Campbelltown. Oh, yeah. Uh, or Camperdown, I should say, sorry. Oh, and then, um, yeah, just basically uh, my old man was a copper back in the day, so mm. he was in Newtown and uh, copper there. And then I think we ended up like at uh, Broken Hill when I was younger than younger than the Newcastle. And, uh, yeah, just, man, it's been like a gypsy life, my life, just going from – when mum was alive, she was just like wherever she wanted to live. Mm. That's where all the boys would go because there's only my old man – and uh, me and Rob. Oh, right. So uh, wherever Mum wanted to live, she got bored of a place. I was like, "Fuck it, let's go. Uh, let's go down to Mathara down in Victoria. Okay, let's all go then. Or mm-hmm. King Roy or Tamworth or, yeah, man. So we always owning pubs. A uh, good majority of the childhood was owning pubs, and then um, once the old man left the coppers and then went into pubs, and then we done the pubs, and then uh, from there it was. Yeah, just my old man went into hospitals and then I just pretty much thought, well, fuck, how can I get paid to do yeah. nothing? <laughs> so I joined him and went, I'll just work in the hospitals with you. So I was, I think, 14. I left school and went into the hospitals and then, uh, yeah, my first job was working in the morgue. Oh, right. I was, like, uh, wrapping all the dead people and uh, <laughs> yeah, opening them up and, yeah, seeing what's inside of a body. Fucking so loose. That was, uh, <laughs> that was pretty much from going from uh, glassings and violence and, Fights in the bar to uh, open the crew up and see what's in the in the head and the body, and then uh, put it all in the bag and sew it up in the guts. Were you licensed to do that? Or you were just doing it for fun. No, I was just doing it for a job. Actually, I was just going, "Oh, how can I earn some money?" So uh, the old man goes, "Well, that's going to be your first job." And then uh, yes, I was just assistance in the morgue. So it was pretty. Uh, it was crazy old experience at fourteen. Do you think that's made you a little bit numb to? Like blood and guts and all that stuff, like through, like that. You, you obviously see a lot of blood and all that shit through fighting and that. But seeing dead bodies at that age on the reg, did that kind of put a mask over it, kind of thing? No, I don't know. I don't know. I think when when I was growing up in uh, Islington in in Newey here, just uh, some of the stuff that I seen mum and dad go through, mm-hmm. like the fights in the bar, and then because we were upstairs at that point, and then uh, mum come up full of you know covered in blood, and you'd be like tripping out, going, "Holy shit, what happened?" and you know, she was just trying to stop a fight and, you know, who knows what the fight or how it went in the end. Um, but then, yeah, she'd come upstairs and full of blood or her and the old man would have a crack at each other, you know, like that, you know, it's just, it's just an alcohol-fueled yeah. environment. And uh, when you've got, you know, whether it's bikies, whether it's lesbians, gays, <laughs> when everyone's mixing with, you know, everyone back, especially in the 70s, you know, things were dealt with just there and then you just... Yeah, punch on, glass on, you know, it was all, all on for young and old. So, yeah, me and my brother sort of seen that sort of lifestyle from, from that beginning and, and uh, we had a babysitter at that, that time and, uh, yeah, at that time he's, he sort of uh, took upon himself to try to do, and do a few things to me through that time, which that was my sort of uh, time in the hotel, which uh, even though I drive past that hotel now and I still look and it just brings back those little sort of thoughts and demons and that mm. sort of dirtiness that happened. And yep. uh, I was sort of always grateful that my brother didn't go through any of that. Um, but, yeah, that was just that hotel life, you know. It was just, you know, it felt like all scums and everything else. But as a kid, you don't know that, you know, so. A lot of people say, like, oh, there's so many fucking weirdos and this, that and the other, these, that. But... It was fucking just as many about getting around back then. It was just, oh, it was yeah. insane. Yeah. There was no phones. There and was, was like, no internet. And if it did happen to you, you couldn't talk yeah. about it. And it was that's the thing. Like, no one talked about it. Where now, everyone wants to talk about it if they see something wrong. And, and there's a few few good 
sort of foundations out there now with, you know, the Fighters Against Child Abuse Australia, yep. you know, that really do some great work, even though they're not hugely recognised. But that's their job, you know. It's a lot of fighters, Jakey Matthews, myself, Mark, you know, we're all sort of on board with these these crew and they're out there fighting for the, you know, mm. for the abuse of kids and just letting no one off the hook, you yep. know. If some, some grub causes abuse, then they're posting it. They don't care, you know, that's, and that's good. That's what's mm. – a fighter's not just a person who jumps in the ring. It's a person who's fighting fighter. through life, man, because yeah. you know, sometimes life is a bit tough. But I think that um, – getting back to that question, I think seeing the violence at that young age and then that sort of abuse happening to me and then obviously moving outside of that, then, you know, getting through school, bullying, you know, red hair and freckles. I wasn't the most popular dude in school. <laughs> I thought I was and, you know, obviously never got a girl for a while but, um, you know, all the boys seemed to always gravi gravitate towards me to punch me or flush me head down the toilet or whether I was a smart little prick or not, I don't know. I probably was, you know. I probably got <laughs> sick and tired of it and then I started to, to learn how to fight at that stage. I was like, fuck this, I can't keep taking a hiding. So I started fighting and that's where I got introduced to the, the fight side of things. But um, going, going through that and then going into the hotel uh, going into the hospital and in the morgue, and then it just becomes sort of a second nature to see shit like that, you know. Yeah, right. Mm. You know, so it's sort of, uh, yeah, that's that's the demons I was I was dealing with all the time. But you know, these days, I mean, I've got two kids, and I'm very protective of them, and mm. and I'm very uh, spoken, outspoken when it comes to if I see some guy or some girl abusing or being abused, then I'll, you know. You got to do what's right, as you should too. You know? Did this did this bloke who was sort of doing that stuff to you? Did he ever get caught or no, no? Because I I'd sort of wouldn't talk about it. Um, I think it just took a lot of years to deal with. You yeah. know, I was just like always at that time because I felt that bad because as much as me and my brother have got such a great brotherhood bond, because mm. um, there was only me and him in the pubs. So I was always when I knew it was coming to that time of that that happening, then I'd be just telling him I hated him or I'd punch him or I'd say, get out, I, you know, I just really – and I felt bad at doing it, but I knew I'd be doing it to tell him I hated him and he'd cry or I'd be crying because I know once that babysitter come in, I knew what I was, I was prepared to go, you know, so I'd just be in that mindset, I suppose, as a kid, you just want to turn off everything and get away and just not be there, yep. you know, in, in body and soul, I suppose you could say. When did you tell someone that it – I think it was um, – I think I was living at the Sunshine Coast and I think it was like, it would have been 20 years. Like mm. I told mum, mum and dad mentioned his name once, like out of the blue. And I was just like, hit me and I was like, that piece of shit. And, I, and then the old man was like, hey, you know, what's going on? And I was told him the whole story, then I let it all out. And, you know, just see the disappointment and hurt on their face. But in saying that, you know, it wasn't, I don't blame them for that because they were trying to do what they could for us in business. You know, yeah. you know, make a good Put life a for us. Yeah, make a good life for us. And but I know if uh, you know if, if I had have said something at that time, and Dad been an old you know an ex copper, and you know he would have went to town and probably killed him. So, but um, I don't know. I just at that stage, and that's why I got into fighting in the end because once I'd gone through that and then I'd gone through the bullying, I was just like, you know what, you know, I can't keep taking it. So um, <coughs> when you get to that stage, you either go one way or the other. You go drugs and alcohol and death. Or you go, right, I'm going to better my life and, and just try and, you know, be accountable and know when it's coming on, when, when all these, you know, when the demons hit. And, you know, sometimes if you're even just alone, you're sitting there alone, you're like, you know, what's there to do? 
you know, and then you start wandering away. So that's why this, um, you know, training and fitness life is is the go for me. It's been the impetus for a lot of different fighters, hasn't it? Just learning, just had enough of being bullied and yeah. enough of not being able to be in control of their own environment. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, George St. Pierre, yep. Conor McGregor, yep. he just didn't want to be fucked with in his neighbourhood. So it's quite a, a common start. And it know? seems like all, all those sort of... Um, Things that happen to those guys, fighting or martial arts, is the the avenue that comes. Mm. You know, they sort of find themselves. They find a journey. They find respect, um, and that's why a lot of people you find that are great fighters. Yeah, uh, came from that that side of things. Yeah. You know, like either being abused or being in rough neighbourhoods, yeah. or you know, it just gives them that sort of outlet to go. And, way, yeah. and a lot, of, you know, a lot of people who look upon fighting and they have never done fighting. They just look, oh, look at these mugs, you know, they're just bad people. They've either been in jail or – and it's such a bad persona because some, you know, young kids who have been abused by people or men or women get into martial arts and that's where they find, you know, how to be a real man or how to be a real woman in mm. martial arts and then, then that carries on to their life. And that's what I've seen a lot of martial arts and a lot of fighters that I've been around, you know, they – come from a, a very traumatised or traumatic lifestyle or childhood and then fighting is what gives them life, mm. you know, which better themselves, not just in fighting, sometimes when they retire, they're being great people, great business people and they just carry on, you know, just succeeding in whatever they do. You could say it's like something that they can be in control of. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm in control of going to train and in control of learning new methods and stuff. Yes. Yeah. You come from like a broken home and you're out of control yeah. outside the... the the yeah, it can be, and that's you know we've got our uh, at Steel City we've got like a ringside youth foundation, so oh, yeah. we have that on the side of the the gym where I go into schools and I've picked them up from school and then I've drove them into the gym for the hour each week, and these are like troubled kids, you know, haven't haven't had anything for disengaged from their school. Their school teacher comes with us, and then I just basically take them through a box fit class. Mm. But then teach them all different things in our program yeah. that teaches them how to be a man or, you know, it might be just um, at the end of each sessions, it's called life lessons. And yeah. it might be where you're saying, right, oh, today's lesson is anger management, you know, like conflict resolutions or being accountable for what you've done or what you've said and, and just trying to, you know, be better men, I suppose. Similar to what Tony Mundine does down in Redfern, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think Mundine's gym's down there anymore. I think it well, got knocked down. Doing. Yeah, well, but what exactly. What he was doing, yeah. What he was doing is just, you know, taking the kids in yeah. and the boxing is what gives them a bit of discipline and, you know, if they weren't there at the training and they are missing, then he'd find out where they were or, you know, they just – they had to be there. And especially when you've got Anthony and then you've got other – good fighters and celebrity fighters coming in everyone wanted to be around you know i was around you know i was hanging out with this person that person and that's what's good because it's you know when with mark up here and ty up here a lot of the a lot of the crew coming into the steel city boxing you know they look up to these guys and you know mark to me i've known him for sort of 20 years he's one of the greatest of all time fighters he's been through every Every fight, you have a look at his resume, who he's fought. Yeah. He hasn't dodged anyone. He's taken on everyone. Last minute. Whether he's lost or won, but he's, he's been a fighter. And, that's, and if you've read his book and read his childhood, that's, that's what your class is, mm. the one of the greatest of all times and one of, the, one of the true fighters, you know. He said when he fought in the octagon or in the ring, it was easier because he didn't have to worry about tripping over the gutter. Yeah, 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 hundred percent. Hundred percent. Look backwards to see if he was going to trip. Out I think once gutter. he gets into that that ring or that octagon, it's just like this switch turns on and mm. he's just in fight mode. You know, he's just in 
killed or be killed. Yeah. You know, so when he's, you know, you just see some of his fights that he's had. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's got respect out of that, you know. Fuck a, yeah. a lot of it, you know. Well, fucking that's what happens when you start caving, can't you? Oh, <laughs> oh, and that's what I mean. Like, people don't know. And, you know, he's been in the game for nearly 30 years. I think I started fighting oh, back in the day in Melbourne. Uh, I think it was at the Radisson or was it the, some sort of venue down in Melbourne. And he was on the main card as well. So oh, that's man. like back in that day, and I've been, I haven't fought for 12 years or more. I don't even know how many years I haven't fought for, but he's still going, you know, at, at my age, we're both 46. And I just look at him and go, man, like at the top of the game, at the top of the world stage, and you're still going, and he still wants six more fights, you know? Yeah. So I'm kid. just like, man, that's where you get respect, and that's where, like, him, to me, I'm just like, man, I, I idolise that dude, you know, mm. just for what he's done. With that Samoan blood. They played footy till oh. they like 50-something. Yeah. They fucking lose. Oh, just crazy. Well, on the topic of your fighting career, where do, so let's talk about where it all started for you because you've had 50-plus you've had 50, fifty plus fights in you. Probably 54. around, uh, probably, yeah, close to probably 53 or 54 or yep. something like that. But so that's, that's like a very, you know, uh, yeah, of karate, boxing, yep. Muay Thai. There's all different scenarios in those, those fights. Where did it all start? What was your first bout? My first bout. And in what discipline? In, uh, it was Kyokushin Karate yep. back in the day. Like uh, the Sam Grecos and all that sort of used to fight um, Kyokushin. And it was just, uh, yeah, I had to go on, I think it was Australian national titles or something. I was blue belt by that time. And I'd only started because I knew uh, a good friend who, who I'd seen two years prior. And he'd fought in a kickboxing fight. And he was like, come along to the, to the gym. And that's where I sort of got sick of being bullied. So I was like, I'm just going to go into this karate gym and see what it's all about. Mm-hmm. So I was Kyokushin Karate. and it was, Newcastle? No, nah, Tamworth. Tamworth. Yeah, yeah, at that time, at 83, we got to Tamworth, I think. And we'd done like a 13-year stint in, in Tamworth. And then I, uh, once I got out of school and started working, then it was just more or less Kyokushin was the sport. And I was like, okay, well, let's, let's fight. And there was only about three or four good fighters in Tamworth. And then I thought, well, let's have a crack at this. And I started to enjoy it. I started to, to uh, really feel that I was getting good at it. And then I had to go to Sydney. It was like the national titles. And I'd never won really a trophy in my life. So I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll go to the national titles, you know. Mm. It was, I think it was like green or green belt and down. And I was only just starting. So I was only like a blue belt or something. And I was like, oh, I just, you know, three fights in one day I've got to have, but I just want to win just that, even a third third place trophy, you know, that was the big thing for me. And then, um, yeah, by the end of the day, I'd got through the the whole fights and, and won the whole thing. Fuck like yeah. Green belt and under, and I was like, Frothing. damn, man, yeah. <laughs> so it was the, the trip, and my, my uh, sparring partner and good friend at the time, uh, he'd won the black belt division, and uh, so he was like, the Australian champion black belt division and then my other mate won the middleweight division. So it was like, you know, country boys just who like to have a scrap went to the big city and then mm-hmm. just cleaned it all up and I was, just, you know, going home on the bus just going, oh, first yeah. place. And <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought a redhead from the country oh, could fight? Oh, nah, 100%. 100%. <laughs> were, was, I think everyone looked at me when I got on the mats and they are like, here we go, well, this will be easy. <laughs> but then once I started spinning kicks and shit like that, they are like, Holy shit, what's going on? Because I used to love spinning kicks, you yeah. know, like just boom, boom. They used to heel kick people to the face or try and do a back spinning kick to the ribs and try and break a rib or something. And that's where I was just always, you know, I never wanted to sit there toe-to-toe and punch on. Obviously, I don't know why because the head's that, that mashed <laughs> up anyway. But 
I always used to love just spinning kicks. Yep. And yeah. a lot of those times, he used to get me through a lot and of they fights. fucking look sick. Oh, man, I do. <laughs> they look sick. And I'm, that's why I said at the start when uh, Instagram was only 15 seconds, it was good because you'd only put in 15 seconds of effort. <laughs> and everyone would be like, damn, that dude's a weapon. And after that 15 seconds, you're on the floor going, <laughs> all busted up. So, But now that's where it sort of all come to. I started just doing the kyukshin karate and then obviously the kickboxing followed and then the Muay Thai and then boxing and – and uh, well, the boxing was real when we were really young, just having a crack at that because yeah. my old man used to be a boxer before he was a copper. So, but uh, yeah, I just I don't know. I just as soon as I started fighting, it was more or less that whole story where you know, I was another man I could at that time I was thinking that's another man I can actually legally hurt. Mm-hmm. He's just across from me. I can get all that frustration out and just go hell for leather on this dude, and I'm not going to get sent away. I'm not going to do mm-hmm. anything. Get you know in trouble. But I think um, over years of once I finished fighting and then started coaching and I think it started to realise that it was um, probably more my masculinity I was trying to show to, you know, males and females that, damn, man, don't, you know, don't put shit on me. I'll take care of business if I have to, you know. Yeah. So I wasn't really I wanted to hurt or kill anyone. At mm. that time I thought that's what I wanted to feel. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, I think it was just me masculinity at the end. I just had to be, you know, a man and go, well, you know, I can fight. Yeah. And... Uh, Getting rid of those sort of demons that were in my head mm. at that time, anyway. And then all the good times happened. So, so I just wrote down here, like, um, why? Why did you go from Kyokushin to kickboxing? Like, why did you find? Why did you evolve from one to the next? Well, I think just the karate style got to a part where it just bored me, because like, yeah. you had to do carters and then you had okay. to get your next belt. And I'd, I'd just swing away all the time. I'd get, I'd get to the green belt, and then I'd have to do a you know, grading or something, and I'd just be bored. I just wanted to fight all the time. So oh. then the boys had started going to a kickboxing gym or a boxing gym, so I'd done some boxing, and I was like, yeah, let's just do all of it. So any in town, there's nothing. You're either a rugby league player or you're a fighter, and that's that's basically all there is in that town. So, um, yeah, it was just – and it started to – once you started to fight and started to win and started, you know, your boxing, your kickboxing, your karate, it's sort of like you, you're this little – little celebrity in this yeah. little town you know yeah. every time you'd have a fight and then you'd be on the news or in the paper then you'd go out to the clubs you know and you'd spend like you know a whole week just partying because mm. you'd won your fights and then yeah, everyone knew you so you walk into the pubs <laughs> everyone would be like hey you know like all the hanger honorers didn't yeah. worry us at that time because it'd be like yeah here's a drink here's a drink and then it'd be hey here's this you know oh, yeah. come upstairs and yeah this is girls and yeah oh bro i was just like mental after that i was just like we just thought we we're just the biggest celebrities <laughs> in the world but it was only like this little country town we'll just walk around the old chest out <laughs> oh it was crazy times have you got a favorite discipline out of all those uh I or think- do you more like putting them all together yeah, I really, I really love the the Kyokushin for the foundation side of things, like just how you set your stances and everything else in regards to that. I love, I love that discipline uh, as a base, but I really love, I really love the Muay Thai, like the Muay Thai and and the boxing is is probably equal loves that I have because you get to see so many great fights in those, and now MMA is evolving. Which gives me the opportunity to, to teach and, and coach Muay Thai and boxing and both put them together because people think, you know, you, you know MMA guys come to a boxing coach and they think, yeah, right, I've got to learn just boxing. But, you know, MMA striking is just totally different altogether from Muay Thai and boxing because it's those two mixed in together. Then you've got wrestling. Mm. So then you've got how do you get them to the ground? 
and you've got to get them to the ground sometimes by striking. Yeah. So, and you can't just have your standard stance because they could just take take that's a leg right. or so something. You know, in boxing you've got fifty fifty stances. So you know if they're smashing leg kicks into the front of your leg, you know all your weight's on the leg sometimes. So then that's getting smashed. Where if Muay Thai, then you're on your back foot more. Mm. Um, you know, boxing's fifty fifty, and yeah. So the stances you've got to. To be experienced in a good MMA fighter, you've got to know when to go into a boxing stance and then to come out into a Muay Thai stance and, and know when to do it and, and, uh, and why to do it. So um, but that's where MMA is just evolving all the time because it's such a disciplined sport, MMA, yeah. and, and um, yeah, it's just evolving all the time. There's so it's much crazy, to learn. Eh? So much to learn. Just, just got those like, low leg kicks and stuff. Just yeah. Yeah. Everyone's well, doing it. Yeah, well, now, now everyone's focused on calf kicks. You know, yeah, like where yeah. five years ago, right. if you done a calf kick, everyone would go, "Isn't that illegal? <laughs> you didn't kick me that? thigh, you kicked me <laughs> calf." But yeah. now that's another thing, you know. Like you can kick the calf and you start smashing up that calf muscle, man. It's hard to stand on. You can't put your weight on it. That's right. And then it takes the power out of your hands because you can't sit on your punches. Mm. So um, yeah, even as even coaching MMA striking, it's it's I'm always learning different things, and I've travelled all over the world for the last 10 or 12 years learning from some of the greatest coaches and athletes in the world and just seeing what they do and you're just like, wow, how, how would that work? And then you come home and you try it and you're like, man, that's, that's why they're doing that. Yeah, yeah. And there's so, you know, it's some crazy fighters out there at, that, thi- at this point anyway. Sorry. After, um, once you're done with your fighting career, when, what, what, what made you have say, nah, I'm just going to get into coaching now? What, made you, what was the telltale for you to kind of give it up and get into the – Coaching role of things. I think if uh, I was just at that point where obviously the body, I think I had my last fight in in Bangkok, and uh, I smashed my foot on on a dude's knee and and broke the top of a foot in the fourth round. Once I and I end up knocking him out in the fifth round, but once that fight had finished, and then I was sort of I think I was thirty or thirty one at that time, and I was just like you know when you get to that stage and your body's just done, mm. like you just. My mind was gone, and, you know, my body was a bit chewed up, and I was just like, man, I just I haven't got the hunger to keep going because I was never going to go to the top and get a world championship or anything like that. I was just into, into the fight and enjoyed that process of the fight. But then I sort of, you know, I had – I think I had a little bit of time off in regards to uh, – it might have been only – it might have been 12 months, it might have been three months, I'm not quite sure how – I think it was probably about eight months, to be honest. With an uh, injury? No, nah, just when I finished oh, up, and, and then I sort of said, you know, I'm going to step away from this whole sport now. I've had enough, and then uh, I think I just had a, a the newborn. I think I just had my daughter, and uh, we're at the Sunshine Coast, and I just thought, well, let's go and do this. So I started surfing full time, and then eating sort of pizza, beer, and and <laughs> you know, ice cream and apple pie every night. <laughs> and by the time I was, you know, I got. You know, from fighting at 69 or 72 kilos and the next minute you're at 95 kilos, you're like, shit, what's going on here? <laughs> and you look at yourself in the mirror and you look at your guts and you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> look at yourself like, you piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was, I think it was just my, my old Muay Thai coach sort of uh, hit me up out of the blue and just went, you know what, uh, do you want to you have a fight? And this dude uh, is an Australian champ and uh, – yeah, he's, he's going to have a fight. If I can put him in. And that was like two months away. So I was like, oh, you know, this will get me into it and give me my last fight in Australia and whatever else. But uh, I had to I had to drop about 13 or 14 kilos, I think, uh, from 95. I had to get down to 76, I think it was. Mm. 
uh, Paul Warren at that time. He was he was a bit of the up and coming young fella, and um, yeah, we sort of went to went to town on each other, and I come away with the win on that one. Broke his rib with a backspinning kick. Yeah, nice. So it was nice. <laughs> but I've I've stayed really good friends with him uh, ever since now. Like he 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 would ring me, and I'd still answer today, you know. But he went to uh, Afghanistan after. After that loss, he joined the army, went to Afghanistan, and was in one of those uh, big unit car units, and got his leg blown off in a in a mine. Fuck. Yeah. Fuck. So, but he still, you know, he went through a troubling time when he got back, and his brother got in contact with me, and I used to, you know, sit there and talk for a couple of hours with him, and mm. just tell him, you know, man, you you still got your life. This is what you can do. Yeah. And he went on to do, you know, talking, talking, sort of uh, engaging, sort of thing. So. Uh, even with his prostate leg, he still holds tie boxing pads. So, oh, awesome! Yeah, so he's still, yeah, man, he's a, he's a good dude. I've got a lot of respect for him, and uh, I think you know we'll be friends forever. I actually watched that fight. Oh, did you? Ron, yeah, yeah, right. At one yeah. point, he goes down, and you dive on top of him. Yeah, I know. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Is that an accident? <laughs> yeah, no. Oh, it was an accident. No, I look, I look at that. And even <laughs> when it happened, halfway through the air, I said, "This ain't right." Yeah. I shouldn't be doing it this yeah, I was just I don't know, just in the heat of the moment. Yeah. And I just wanted to as soon Kill. as he went down, I was like, Fuck, I'm gonna hit you. <laughs> and the, as soon as I went down, the rev just pulled and go, You cannot um, do that. It's like a fucking WWE, yeah. you know, oh, off the no. top rope. And you were like, No, 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 I was like, Oh, sorry about that's not No, sweet we're mates. <laughs> I was I was I was actually embarrassed about yeah. that because I, I knew that was a fucking dirty move and I was like, Oh, that's embarrassing. You went to ask over tip with a spinning kick as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, I done the old <laughs> spinning and I was there and everyone was like like, oh, having a big old laugh, and I was like, damn, I'm on my ass again here. <laughs> but uh, in the end, I think, yeah, I hit him with a back spinning kick, and yeah, we went, I think we went to the judges, and, and I got the decision. But yeah, man, he's a, he's a tough character, that dude. He'd just stand there and take it all or, and give it. But so he's doing um, like, in, like inspirational yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, he's doing, doing talks. I'm not, I haven't talked to him uh, recently, but I, I knew he was in with the army doing sort of uh, some mentoring stuff oh, with yeah. the soldiers, and I think he went off and done his own business as well. So, um, but yeah, man, I got a lot of respect for that dude. He's just, um, just a great dude. And when you go from a fighter and then you go to represent your country, and that's what I mean. They're, they're the real fighters, those dudes yeah, who are prepared yeah. to go and put their life on the line when hey, you got bullets coming around you all the time. Lost the leg too, so you fucking actually. That's what I mean. Like when it's hardcore like that and come back and still survive, you know, it's it's crazy stuff. Mm. What's going on, Mossy? No, no, sweet. It doesn't matter if it's not on here. It's on here anyway. The computer's fucking up, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, fuck knows what's going on. <laughs> anyway, that's what we got the backup. Anyway, so how, uh, tell us a bit how you ended up in the Fennec camp. Uh, Fennec, uh, we sort of got to know Jeff over the years when we were at Sunshine Coast, and my brother became friends with him more than what I did at that time. And then uh, we'd just travel from Sunshine Coast, but, you know, we were going through a stage where we'd travel every time he'd go to the US, we'd travel with him. Yep. You know, we had that sort of freedom to up and go and, and uh, yeah, man, we've done probably 30, 30 trips with him to the US over since 2008 to, uh, to probably now. Mm-hmm. I've done, I think my brother's done like 48 trips to the US. I think I've done about 43 or something <sighs> to that effect. Um, but, yeah, in those days it was like just hanging out with Jeff and just learning how Jeff trains and seeing what how Jeff sort of hangs out and he took us under his wing and, Man, we hung out some uh, we hung out some crazy dudes with that dude because everyone in the world <laughs> knows Jeff, you know. So you can go to any part of the world and and uh, Jeff will be on the phone to someone. I think we we're hanging out. It was a triple eight poker tournament one year, and and Warney flew in, and he was like, "Yeah, we're gonna hang out with Warney." And then uh, Liz is coming with him, like Liz Hurley, Liz Hurley and yeah. stop, so then we're at the nightclubs and we're at the, our little booth with them and. 
hanging out and then you're um then he's like texting going yeah right mick doing's just about to fly in as well let's go to the cat house you know because he owned the cat house sort of um nightclub so then we'd all go up to there and oh man some of the nights we had there it was just crazy nights man was this in vegas yeah Okay, you can lose yourself in that joint. Oh, mate, I've seen a few fucking red-hot photos of you over there. <laughs> oh, bruh. We went to the Playboy Mansion in LA. Oh, yeah? Run Play- us through that. Oh, bruh. There he is there, look. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Huey. Yeah. Oh, bruh. It was, like, it was uh, for a charity. Oh, and, yeah. again, Jeff and, and everyone else was going over. We had about an entourage of about 20 of us. And uh, and in the end, of, you know, it took me wife at that stage and – uh, you know everything was going on. They were like, "Yeah, we're going to play us Playboy Mansion." I was like, "Damn!" She's like, "I'm coming." Yeah, oh, like, I'm yeah, yeah. So go. we all we all went there, and oh, it was just a crazy night, you know, because you know all the the chicks walking around with titties, and just all, it was all going crazy, and everyone's together and just drinking, and I think. Um, yeah, at that time, I was blind. My brother and his wife would be waiting for the bus because it was about two in the morning, freezing cold, like two degrees too, you know, like, mm. and I'm blind, so I didn't care. So I, me, I'm jumping in the grotto, just having to swim in the pool. Yeah, you know, in me in me undies. I think I had like I was trying to be a UFC, you know, fight at the blood and the belt, and I had no <laughs> shirt on. It's fucking two, you know, minus two degrees, and here I am trying to, you know, be a, you know, act like a UFC fighter, and I was just jumping in the water, and I thought, oh yeah, be smart smart ass and swim and got back and then the next day jeff was like yeah we've got the limo we're going to travel to vegas and so we got the la lakers limo which suits i don't know how many 14 to 20 so there's only six of us all laid all laid out straight even with us all laid out straight you still couldn't take up the whole limo so we had that whole limo la lakers going to vegas so as soon as we got to Vegas, that's when I hit a wall. That's when I got – I must have got Sobered the flu up. or something. No, I got the flu or something. I just went down like a bag of shit. And I yeah. was like – I spent like two days in bed at that time. And, uh, yeah, man, I was that sick. I had to go to, to a doctor to get the old needle in the ass. That was 500 bucks. Fuck. Just to get a needle in the ass to try and get over this illness. And it was my birthday on the 4th, which I was sick, you know, the 1st and the 2nd. And then getting into the 3rd. And then, uh, and then Rob rings me. My brother goes, "Oh, hey, you got to come down for dinner tonight." And I'm just like, "Fuck Ooh. that, bro! I'm that sick, eh? <laughs> I'm that sick." And he goes, "No, nah, Mike wants you to come down." I was like, "Fuck! All right, I'll come." So I'll get dressed, and then because yeah, Mike and Jeff are good friends, so Mike come into the into the city. So here we are at this Japanese restaurant with the crew, and and Mike's there, and you know, over the years. Just getting to know Mike and yeah. you know, such a good dude, and and because of Jeff, but uh, man, that's the only time. That's the only reason I got out of bed. You know, <laughs> it's Mike. Dang, he wants to wish you a birthday. Get down here, and I was like, yeah, all right, I'm coming down. And some of those, yeah, some of those trips, and some of those sort of um, who you hang out with, and you see on whether it's on TV or whether you see on the sports channels, or whatever, and then you sit there and you're hanging out with these dudes, you know, you're like, far out, man. That was crazy, crazy times. How was Mike? He's good? Yeah, he's good. It just depends on, on what Mike you get. Yeah. You know, so some some back in the day you get the the cool stoned Mike, you know, just chilling out. Mm. Well, sometimes, you know, we're walking out of a restaurant and then someone would, you know, be walking past and would be sort of Jeff and, and I'll be around uh, Mike and then next minute you'd hear someone go, Hey Mike, you know you, you piece of shit. Why don't you give back to society? You know, and oh man, he'd turn mm. with his eyes like this, ready to kill him. Mm. 
and Jeff would, no, no, don't worry about Mike, don't worry about it. And we'd turn, like, basically into security guards, you know, just yeah. keep Mike away because he'd probably end up killing him. Why do people do that? Oh, why do people do that? Bro. Poke the bear. Oh, Shit man. Just, you obviously know he's the baddest cunt <laughs> ever. Why? What are you going to do? <laughs> just, I think it's just disrespect. You know, people, everyone's got an opinion, so yeah. I think they just Entirely. they hear all the bad stuff that's that's gone on with him. And then uh, they just have their opinion that that person's not a good person, you know. So, but everyone, you know, we've all done dumb, dumb shit, and everyone gets that should get that chance to redeem themselves, you know. Mm. But um, yeah, you know, meeting him and hanging out with him for a few years, and you know, it was just crazy times, man. Little, little side note: what do you, what are your thoughts on I Mike and uh, James Junior going back at it? Oh. I don't. I don't mind. I mean, every everyone I think is going to pay to see Mike oh, get back in the ring. Yeah, that's right. Just I'm for the old time, <laughs> even though in their clauses you're not allowed to knock anyone out. Mm-hmm. Like they're not allowed to knock each other out. That's a clause they've got in there. They've got to wear headgear. Oh, it uh, is headgear. Is yeah, it? so oh, it's, it not, it's not going to be as as like it a used to be. The yeah. whole thing, but people will just go. You know what? This is. I, I would rather see Mike jump in with a Vander Holyfield or a Lennox Lewis. Yeah. At this age, because Roy Jones, even though he was a, he made it up to heavyweight. To, to win the WBA title But he never fought Mike before And it's just like They're just doing it Sort of more The charity and the friends things Which yeah. is the purpose Yeah it's end, still you know? good Yeah But it would have It would have been great To see the Holyfield And Mike go back at it eh? Yeah and I mean It's you know It's good to see Mike Healthy and you know And he's throwing punches In the in the social media stuff But mm. you know In in the game You know he'd throw you know, Even if he threw One and a half minutes of that He'd be fucked after that Mm. Blowing, blowing a chimney. So it'll be, I think it'll be a slow fest, like a slug fest. Yep. But I think they'll just do it just for the charity, charity side. And I think everyone will still pay. And of course, hopefully, they uh, whatever charity they make. And obviously, the boy's going to make a shitload of coin out oh, of it. Oh, so. fucking a! <laughs> so you reckon you'll go why, again? You? you reckon you'll go again? Uh, well, I hope so. I, I would honestly say, and not just because Mark's up here, I would honestly like to see if oh, him and Mark oh, went at don't it. Don't say it, fucking but. good. And I know. Because Mark, obviously, well, Connor and you know Connor done it to to um, with with the big fella. What's his name? I can't remember. Cerrone. No, no, Connor McGregor and the boxing oh, uh, oh, Floyd Floyd Mayweather. I couldn't remember his name, but um, yeah, and they done it. So yeah, that's probably <laughs> setting in. But you got Mark, who's you know MMA, yeah. and Tyson, who's the fighting. But um, I don't know. There's a there's a couple of names. You know, we'll we'll get through. We'll get Mark through this, and then. If he wants to continue with us, then we'll we'll try and sort out where we can go from there. But um, yeah, there's plenty of options because Mark's still, man, he's still throwing. He's still throwing to mm. you know anywhere from three to four hundred punches around when he's doing pads. So Fuck yeah. this is a fit dude at yeah. 46. Yeah. This ain't this ain't 46 sluggish old dude, man. Like he's lost, I think he's lost about 20 kilos now, and he's got another 10 to go. And uh, man, he just. He's got a perfect eye for where to punch, when to punch. Mm. He's been doing it for that long. Yeah. And uh and, and even me brother and I, we're not we're not here to teach Mark anything new. Yeah. He's he's an icon. He's already been in the game for that long. It's just a matter of structure. Structuring and what it's like to do boxing, just yeah. boxing. No kicking, no elbow, no nothing. So, you know, footwork's gotta be different, where you where you're sitting, you know. Just explaining from our point of view and our experience that what we've learned off other people as well is where where he's going to beat sort of uh, mm. a gallon at that stage when when that fight happens. So I just wanted to ask you about Jeff Fennick. Were you uh, in communications with him when he was going through his heart stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was over in Thailand. So yeah. Um, yeah, were you we'll, there? No, we we're supposed to we we're supposed to go over there at that time, 
Um, but in the uh, – yeah, it just happened automatically. He didn't want to go to hospital and, mm. and I think one of his offsiders said, bro, you don't look well, you got to go. And luckily he did because, yeah. you know, he even called his wife Susie over, which he would never do. But he said, hey, you got to get over. I might not survive this. Fuck. So that, yeah, it was pretty heavy, that, turn, that yeah. sort of style. And uh, But to see him now, you know, like – Everyone was saying, you know, the, the critics were saying, you know, he won't be ever able to hold pads again. He won't be able to train again. But you can't – that dude is just uh, – there's something about that dude and that's why he was the best ever yeah. you know, out of Australia because, uh, you know, he's just a freak. Mm. He's, well, these are nerdy little doctors saying that, not fucking Oh, it would, it would be too. <laughs> but he's he's back into training twice a day. He trains Brock, Jarvis. He trains three or four of them down there every day, twice a day. He's still in there, man. He's still he's, – he's very uh, – and he's for his age, man. He's, he's just those freaks, you know. They're just natural fitness. What did he have? Did he have to have a surgery? A yeah, I think it was. Uh, I think it was like a, it was like a uh, stent bypass. or something oh, or something. Stent, yeah. yeah, but I think it was a bypass. Yeah, I think it was even a, a triple bypass. Yeah, it was a big job. Yeah, yeah. So he was uh, very lucky. Oh man, just some, especially being in Thailand. Yeah, and getting it all done because and and people don't realise in Thailand they got some of the best hospital systems. Mm. They're actually better sometimes yeah. than the Australian yeah. system. When I broke my foot. And I had a, a personal doctor, personal nurse, personal assistant, all for one, just fracture of a foot. What hospital were you at? Oh, I can't even remember. Yeah. In Bangkok itself. Bum run grab? Is that the one? No. No, I don't know. Yeah. What was that? Bum round and grab? No, it's called um, <laughs> bum from grab. This no. has got a fake tits put on. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so they go good. Yeah, no, I didn't get those ones done. <laughs> I missed that section. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. So you've got, uh, you've got quite a fucking... Impressive resume, you know, when it comes to fighters that you've worked with and that. Like, um, I don't know if you did you work with Overeem as well? Overeem, just yeah, yeah. When, when I work with those dudes, I spent about six or seven years in Jackson Winks, yeah, uh, because mm. Kyle Noak, who's a good friend, and he was over there. He's you like, read him on notes, are you? He, Kyle Noak's obviously <laughs> one of the pioneers of Australian MMA, and he got to go over there and live for nine, eight or nine years. Um, and I just I don't know how it all happened, but I just became friends with him and then. I said, you know, I want to come over and, you know, hang out and train with you. And then I started to do some striking with him. And then, yeah, as soon as I got there, it was just like year after year, I'd go over there three to four times a year when he was in camp. And then everyone else seemed to be in camp. So there was Donald Cerrone, Michelle Waterson uh, at that time. Diego oh, Sanchez. Yeah, Diego. I'm very good friends with Diego. I spent uh, two camps with Diego and just some real personal stuff with, with Diego um, himself. Mm. But... Um, and people think, you know, that dude's crazy, but I tell you, that dude is switched on. Yeah. When it comes to looking after your body and not feeding any, any shit into your body, mm. Diego Sanchez is one of the most switched on. He'll take, you know, the old alkaline machine everywhere he goes and plug it into taps yeah. just to get all the nu good nutrients out of the water. Like, yeah. this is how fanatic this dude Fuck. is. That's why that dude will probably end up being a thousand years old still hanging out. Yeah, sick. You know, wouldn't surprise me. So I was, what I was getting at, with all these fighters that you've worked with, like top-notch, fucking doesn't get any higher in the world, yep. really. And, you know, and do you do you feel the pressure of when you're training them for an important fight? Do you feel that pressure of, like, fucking, am I doing the right thing here? Like, am, am, is he ready yet? Is he ready yeah. for this fight? Am yeah. I doing enough? Yeah, it doesn't matter whether you're training them up for a fight or you're just holding pads for them. Because uh, you're, you're trying to, out of your experience... You're trying to – and that's one good thing I'll, I'll, when I've, I'll say with working, uh, you know, whether whether it's with these guys, Mark or Ty or Overeem doing pads, Cowboy doing pads, these guys are so open 
to learning knowledge. And and you know when they when someone tells them, and and I've got a good friend Brandon Gibson, who's one of the best striking coaches in the world, and he's under Greg Jackson and and Winklejohn, and. You know, when he's sort of giving you props and saying, this is Rich from Australia and, you know, these guys over him comes up and you go, hey, Rich, can I do some pads with you at seven tonight? And you go, yeah, no worries, you know. At first you're like, holy shit, man, this is over him. I'm going to start doing some pads with him. And then you get into the whole whole rhythm of doing pads and it's just, you know, you're only just given your knowledge of combinations or the fight knowledge that you have and you're only just passing that on to them. Mm. You're not saying okay, this is how it has to be. And I've never been a coach that says, okay, this is the way that we're going to do it. It's my way or it's no way. Because I'm forever travelling the world and I'm forever learning yeah. off different coaches. And I've been around some crazy different coaches, um, you know, from LA with, with Freddie Roach in the boxing um, and uh, Greg Jackson, Winkle John. Uh, Jason Perillo from who's Bisping's coach back in the day, just seeing how these guys work and and what they tell their fighters and the instructions and just the and I just look in awe because these guys have been probably years before me coaching, so they know what they're looking at. They know, and that's why I have you know a lot of respect uh, for my brother because he spent ten years under Jeff and Jeff. To me, and and to me, brother is probably one of the the boxing best boxing coaches in Australia, if not in the world. Mm. And his style is is the Mexican aggressive walk up style, how he used to fight. But the knowledge Jeff has, he can see things that people don't see. Yeah. And my brother has picked that up, and that's why, you know, when I'm when I'm watching my brother train a fighter, I'm looking at what what he's doing, what he's saying, because then I want to. You know, if I'm taking that into MMA or Muay Thai, I've got to look for that and pass that knowledge on to, you know, to better my coaching. And I'm never one who goes, yeah, no, I'm up here and everyone else is here. Like, I'm just as new at 46 as anyone else. Like, mm. I, I just open for learning. And that's what probably keeps me motivated because I, the, the funnest part about this, this industry is you can up and go over to Tiger Muay Thai with all the boys hang out for two weeks and not that it's – there's no party and anything. It's just full-on training, morning and night, but you get to see all different coaching mm. how angles of what how coaches do. And some coaches I've looked at and went, nah, that dog shit, that wouldn't work for me. But then I see someone, I, I still go, oh, that wouldn't work for me, but then I go and try it and I go, damn, that's good. Yeah. That actually works yeah. for me. So I'm always like a sponge. I'm always yeah. – and I've got a, a black book that I carry around with me everywhere and I've carried around for 10 years – and I write down just combinations that I see. Oh. You know, I've had it and you know, hopefully one day when I get to a really old dude and I know I'll be 80, 90 or however long I last, I'll still be walking into a gym just pottering around the yeah. boxing ring because it's a social thing that yeah. I love, passing on some knowledge. But hopefully a coach, MMA coach or boxing coach or whatever, I'll have that black book and when I don't need it anymore, I'll just go, there you go. Start from scratch. That's you're just starting off in coaching, but this is my notes that I've taken over the last twenty or thirty years, mm. and I'll have that book everywhere I go. Yeah, but by the time you get there, it could be so refined, it could be like fucking twist your ankle one inch to the left, and then yeah, you're reading that. You know, what the fuck does that mean? Yeah, well, that's right. A lot of combinations. People look at it and go, "Well, what do you mean by this?" You know, like you know, you slap their side of the leg, uppercut elbow to move into a, a spinning elbow or something like that. But how I word it and some diagrams sometimes and. Mm. 
I suppose it's just that where sometimes I get too stale. If I'm just doing one training with one fighter all the time, yeah. then I'm stale and I'm going, what's something new that I can do? And I look through that book and I'm like, shit, this will be good for that fight. Let's just introduce a little bit of this training or, you know, that's, that's why I keep it because sometimes my brain will just forget something and then I'll just go back into the stale just doing one, one thing at a time. One, two, one, two. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, I can't do that. That's where, again, I get off, off track and I go, I'm too stale. I've got to do something new, you know. So uh, when we had Mark in here, he was, he was actually saying, "Was he giving like, me the rat? Was he, he was he giving me the heat? Yeah, no, no. That piece of that <laughs> filthy, yeah, he's he's filthy, filthy animal." Yeah, he said that's why he loves training with you, though. But uh, he, he was telling us he fucking hates training. I know what it's like just going to work, getting up at four thirty or whatever in the morning. Like, yeah, how do you motivate? How do you go motivating someone who just fucking hates training? Oh well, you just you got to train with them. Yeah. You know that's that's what I found. If I if I and I I think about that every now and again because he's been here since March, mm-hmm. and as a coach, sometimes you know realistically I'm getting paid to keep fit, yep. and that's how I've got to think. I'm I'm actually getting paid to to keep my body and my mind sharp, just as like the fighter. Mm-hmm. And I see so many coaches, and uh, who just don't don't train themselves. Even if you're not training with the fighter, they just don't do any training themselves. And they're just quite happy just to be, you know, once they do pads, that's it. I don't want to do nothing else. But then they get to that that time or that age, and next minute they you know, they get a good opportunity for a fighter coming in. Next minute they're, oh, my shoulder's gone, that's it. You know, oh, it's an old injury. You know, what have you done to, you know, keep that injury go- going, you know? And uh, I've been lucky enough, my body's been, you know, uphold all this time, and I'm 46 now. So it's, it's withheld a lot of the kicks and the punches and the elbows and I get right into it as well. Mm-hmm. But I think just the motivation-wise is, you know, I try and give off the energy. I try and give because, I one, I can't sit still half the time. Mm. But I've always got to be doing something. Like I've always got to be – if I'm not training, then I'm resting. But most of the time I'm like, let's go. I just want to go for a run or let's go up the park and go for a hill run or something like that or go for a surf or go for a swim or – I'm always thinking, well, what what's there to do? And then the benefit is you just you keep yourself active, yep. you know, which gives you the more – and people don't realise the more you do not train, the more you feel – You don't want to train. You're late, you know, I'm not fit, I'm too unfit, I'm too lazy. That's when you got – that's when the whole body starts to shut down. When you're not training or keeping fit, that's when you slow down. People don't realise it's the opposite effect. If you're training all the time – your energy builds, your energy, you've got more energy. Yep. So uh, that's what helps me. Otherwise, I would be just a fat bastard and sit there watching TV and doing <laughs> nothing. But uh, <laughs> mentally, it's, it's, it's that for me. So That's what um, my little brother said about when he, he was playing with Brad Arthur. That's why all the players who they reckon have played under him or with him have never had a bad word to say about him. Because he, he's that kind of coach. He won't just get there pre-season and say, right, go mm. fucking do those sand dunes, go do this, go do these fucking army pack runs and that. He's fucking there doing it with the boys. 100%. And he goes, I'm not trying to – this is what I expect you to do because I'm not yeah. telling you nothing I'm not going to yeah. do myself. You know? and, I, and I think that's what – that's what uh, whether whether I get uh, respect for doing that because like if you're – and that's why I haven't taken on any, any PTs at the moment because it's so hard to make a time. Yeah. Like I know I've got Mark in the mornings and I set out a schedule and I go, right, we've got to lose 10 kilos in the next four weeks. This is our training. So we train, you know, at Strength Republic and, and Steel City Boxing on the Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Then we're off to do uh, pinpoint uh, yeah. athletes with Pooley and that. So I've, I've got a schedule where I want to change every day's training yeah. so it doesn't become – because I can take Mark – 
I can take him into the gym, put him on a roll machine, a stair climber, and just do the normal stuff. But uh, but in the end, it's, it makes me stale as well. Mm. And I just get sick and tired of being stale. So I'm just like, let's just change it up. And it's not just for the fighter, but it's for me yeah, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you but at the same time, going. I'm keeping him super fit mm. and trying to you know keep him him motivated as well. So uh, Mark and I, because we've known each other for a long time, but we just. I know, just got that understanding with yeah. each other and, you know, we have fun with each other and tell yeah. each other they're filthy bars. Yeah. <laughs> and he's a professional too, so he knows. Work yeah, no, that's what I mean. Like, I, I respect him as, a, as basically one of the best to ever do combat sport. And people say, oh, yeah, but he never won the UFC title. That's a company. That doesn't mean shit. Mm, when you one when, company. Yeah, you have a look at his pride fights. You know, you have K1. a look at his K1 when he won the K1. Mm. He wasn't meant to win it. Yeah. You know, Ray Sefo, when he, when he fought uh, Ray Sefo, mm. Ray Sefo had to retire because of the bung die because mm. of Mark. So Mark had to step back in and yeah. went on to win it. Yeah. So that's, that's fate. That's, uh, that's how it's supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, he went on to the glory, the, the K1. Then UFC were going to pay him out. And just sit him on the side, but he goes, "No, if you pay me, I might as well fight." Mm. And everyone UFC sent him up against, they were trying to have him have him beaten anyway. Yeah, but he kept knocking them out. So then the, every all the crowd was like, "Hell yeah, we're paying to watch this all the time." <laughs> and that's that's why Mark's who he is. He's just he's an icon of the sport to, in my yeah. eyes, and it's just a it's a, been a privilege to hang out with him two times a day yeah. and train just to see. What mentality someone at that level, how they function, you know? Mm. When and he got kicked in the face by Crocop and he got back up and won the fight, it's fucking like, that's superhuman shit, that oh, shit. Bro, you just got to look through his resume and just go, look at the dude he's fought, man. Like, it's the best of the best. There's no, yeah. oh, yeah, he's just a beginner or nobody. You've yeah. got to fight him. It's like top, top, top. Everything was the top, mm. you know, in the, whether it's the UFC, whether it was the Pride, whether it was the um, Glory, didn't. Or K one didn't matter. Mm. He he always stood up, and I suppose that's when he went through whatever he went through as a kid. But when he started to get paid for it, he was like, "Shit, man, I can get easy paid. money, baby. Uh, easy <laughs> money to just punch people in the face." <laughs> so that's why, and that's why he's a big star, like in the Japan and everywhere yeah. else. Because when you're a, a true fighter, people people want to watch a true yeah. fighter because they know they'll put everything into it. You know, yeah, true. Striker as well mm. Not just a jiu-jitsu bloke just, I'm going there to fucking knock your teeth out Yeah, yeah And, he, you know, <laughs> and as I say see, over the it? years he's, he's just got that eye for when to hit And he explained something to Bam Bam When we are training And he was like You know I can, I can be head on someone's chest on, on the ropes or the cage And I can actually take myself out of my body Look at, the, look at where the opponent is then I know where I've got to be to hit that opponent. Yeah, mad. There's not many people that can explain oh. taking your own self out of your body to overlook where you're standing mm. to then hit that opponent where you need to be. Total awareness of their limbs, your limbs. And that's cool. that's that's thirty years of, of just that mental mental strength. You know, it's fucking a craziness. So it rolls into one of the questions I've got: Who's the freakiest athlete you've ever seen? The freakiest athlete, hmm. like in the fight game. You've worked with. Uh, I'd, I'd probably say uh, Bones, John yes. Jones. Thought so. <laughs> I mean, some of the some of the stuff that him and his coach Brandon Gibson used to do behind the closed doors, and there wasn't too many people allowed into his striking sessions. So I was I was funnily enough uh, 
I got the opportunity to spend some time with him and his coaches and just seeing just some of the stuff like they sit there and just try and invent things, you know, just mm. out of the blue. So when you're looking at someone who hasn't been beaten and just how they sort of go along game planning and just trying new things, you just sort of sit there and go, wow, man, this, you know, this dude's on the next level, yeah, especially well. being young at that, that stage when he was winning and convincingly. But, um, but again, it, there's those bones. There's uh, Holly Holmes is is one of the probably the hardest workers mm. in the gym that I you know she'll be in there training, training, training. Diego Sanchez he he spends seven hours in the gym a day, going over everything from groundwork to you know striking to bag work to cardio work to strength work. He goes through immense like that dude. You see him train you like yeah he's got mental problems. Mm. Well, and they're all in Albuquerque. Those guys are, yeah, those yeah. guys are in uh, Jackson Winklejohn um, yeah. gym over there and yeah, I've sort of over the years become one part of the family there where I can just walk into Jackson's at any time and, you know, grab some pads and start holding for anyone that's that's there. But And it's like anything, time goes by and now, you know, the changing of the guards are all happening over there and, you know, Greg's doing a lot of different stuff with, um, you know, the, the police force, the army, everything else outside oh, yeah. of the fights as well. So... Awesome. Uh, He's doing a lot of – he's very – man, when it comes to game planning and strategies, yeah, Greg Jackson's the man. He's yeah. Like, his brain, how it works is just yeah, on a different level, you know. Mm. He, he sort of studies the old old days, you know, back in the day when they used to have wars together and, yep. you know, he, that's, how, that's what he looks for and oh, studies, right. you know, like back in some of those ancient days. Oh, yeah. How they used to fight and how oh, they right. used to prepare and that's how he used to bring some of that. You know, preparation into the nowadays and uh, just how he explains it you're like sitting there going what is he talking about <laughs> but then you know you see it in action you're like damn that dude's he's ahead yeah, of his yeah. time you know so who yeah. do you reckon would be the most professional outfit that you've that you've worked with still uh, see you boxing <laughs> 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 yeah, the old, uh, yeah the old filthy still yeah still city boxing we're always uh, still city baby professionals <laughs> <laughs> Until uh, we go home and they're out to the pubs. <laughs> Don't catch me down the Commodo. Oh, shit. <laughs> On Saturdays, punting, punting our money away. But uh, oh, the most professional would be, I'll, I'll probably say Holly Home. Yeah. Out of them, you know, like just seeing her, how she trains, and again, uh, Diego. And that, as I say, like there's, there's probably a ton of them. I wasn't, I wasn't at Jackson's when St. Pierre was there. I think I'd just come just as he was sort oh, of finishing up uh, with him. But um, yeah, back in back in the old Jacksons, there was Rashad Evans, uh, Frank Mir, Travis Brown, and you had Bones, and you had Kyle Noak, Michelle Waterson, Holly. Oh man, you just had yeah, name after name, man. and that's when it was a gym where it was just professional fighters. Like all the amateurs were in the in the Winkle John's gym doing karate or kickboxing, and all the professionals would come to that gym. And the names that that went through that gym, man, it was just like whoa, there's some. Heavy artillery, but they all come for you know Greg and and uh, Mike Winkle John because together they make a great team. Mm-hmm. You know, together, um, yeah, it's just such big names there. Where's Ty gone? To San Diego, isn't it? Where's, where's uh, he's, he's back in Sydney at the moment. Oh, back in the he? county, yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah, back in the hood. <laughs> but he's um, but he's just gone back there because they're just working on his visa to go because oh, he was yeah. supposed to go back to DC's gym. What's it called? AKA. AKA, that's it. Yeah, San over in, Diego. I think that is, uh, yeah, San Diego or yeah. California, somewhere down there. But he was supposed to go back there and help DC um, prepare for this fight with Steve A. Oh. But, um, but yeah, so he, he hasn't got his visa at the moment. So, but he's got a fight. I think um, 
I'm not quite sure if it's been announced or something, but it's, it's in soon. Ty's got something coming up. Yeah. Well, awesome. He's got a he's got a big charge coming up, so he's got and he's got to win this one. You know, as we're pretty uh, straight up coaches, and you know, when he was up here, just a lot a lot of fighters when they or coaches get around these fighters and they just tell them what the fighter wants to hear, and yeah. the, the fighter doesn't get that opportunity to learn too much. And me and Rob are pretty much trying to be as real as we possibly can. And if you know something's not right, then we'll be up front. And we talk, you know, same as when Ty's, you know, talking about his previous fights, and you know, we t I pointed out a few things that you know didn't happen that should have happened or could have happened, but um, but he's he's like me, he loves taking in knowledge, and Ty will only listen to certain coaches, like you know, everyone's there to give Ty his message and all, yeah, yeah, this is how it's done, but t there's only, you know, Ty said himself, there's only certain people that I want to listen to who have either been there or they know what what they're actually doing. And uh, so it was, that was a privilege for him to come up and Mate. train with, with me and Rob for seven weeks and just change a few things and this next opponent who's fighting just have a bit of a game plan and um, hopefully see what, what he can actually do. Um, yeah, so the next fight's going to be interesting. I think everyone will be like, wow, fuck, this is going to be a cracker. Yeah. And Ty, that's one thing. Ty is like Mark, you know, and Ty used to be Mark's sparring partner when Ty was like 16, 17. So they've been like brothers for a lot, lot of years, and that's that's how I've known Ty through Mark. But um, and Ty's the same. Like Ty, just if there's a name there, he doesn't sort of sit there going, "Okay, oh no, nah, that won't do." He just goes, "Oh, okay, that's a fight. Okay, no worries, book it in." And then he, before he was just not really looking at too much of the strategy side of things. But you know, being up with us, we tried to just get into get into his uh, routine as. This is a business now. You you know you got to earn money from this, mm. and you got to get the win. Yeah, win win is what pays. And uh, everyone you know because obviously Ty come from where Ty comes from. He just gets on the old punch. He just wants to knock everyone out with one punch. But it doesn't work like that. <laughs> when you got business people in the octagon, you know, and they see a weakness of you going to the ground, they'll just shoot for you and go yeah. to the ground. You know, so he's, he just had to try and get out of that mentality of just the one off punches. Yeah. So we've just tried to get him to. Just try and be a little bit more of a smarter fighter, not rush, just take your time, but just invest in in certain things. Invest in the legs, invest in the body, you know, because everyone's just headhunting these days. Everyone wants to knock, be the knockout artist, bah, but no one wants to do the little things right. And I think, especially MMA, if you can if you can invest in the body and the legs, then everything else, the, he the head will be available. It may not be in the first round, it may not be in the second round, but the head will become available. And you just got to invest, invest properly. It's like investing your money. You're not going to just throw it into nothing. Mm. You've got to try and invest it into something. So the same thing, strategy goes for kicking the legs. Okay, how do we chop this tree down? How we how we bust this body up? Yeah, you know, and go from there. So you know, and and, uh, and I respect Ty a lot, and I love the dude. He's you know anything I asked him to do, he 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 done. You know, mm. and um, so he now he him back with his coach now, Steve. Down in uh, Sydney, Steve is a great dude, and he's he's one of the OGs, man. He's been around, you know, at a lot of times back in the day when he was training James Tahuna. Oh fuck! Yeah, back in the day, not much, not many people know Stevie, but was that, the at, ones... was that at the Beasting? Yeah, yeah. Out of there? Oh, there was uh, the Beasting. Stevie was was involved in that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Uh, I think um, Sean Sean um, Sully, I think his name was, or Sean. Yep. He was. He's in Abu Dhabi at the moment. He's now he's uh, working over there. But I seen him cornering uh, one of the Abu Dhabi fighter, the new fighter who beat um, 
I don't know. He he had a, his first fight, and everyone uh, said, what? "Oh no, this is a this is a hard dude you're going to fight." But he he yeah, convincingly Smoked beat him. him. Smoked him, all right. So yeah, I seen something in the corner. I was like, "Oh, so he's involved in the gym there." And but he he used to own the own the thing. Bought him off James Tahuna and his brother Tam- Tama. Tama, yeah. So um, but yeah, no. Stevie's uh, they're at Zoo Zoo Fitness now with yep. Jace Lappin and and um, that's where Stevie and Ty and all that sort of Arlene Arlene. Anger Fist is at now, so it's a good little gym down there, that Zoo Fitness. Yeah, that's everybody back in Western Sydney, Ooh, baby. Zoo Fitness, Jace Lappin Benny and Benny Bay <laughs> Oh, yeah, you've got to be in the hood. got yeah. to be in the hood. Yeah, fucking no. So um, you've met quite a lot of fucking, like, big names, as big as it gets. Fucking Mike Tyson, Roy, Roy Jones, Mark Hunt. Chris Moss. Oh, this <laughs> guy. How, oh. how does it come on? But as, like, just as a fan... As a fighter yourself, how did it fucking go about, and how how did it come about, and how was it meeting Muhammad Ali? Yeah, I think all that. Uh, my brother was riding. It come the meeting with the Muhammad Ali. We sort of fell into this this business of like memorabilia. Yep. Mm. And like we got uh, jockey's whip first, and we put it in a frame, and next minute it sold for like a thousand bucks, and we're like, damn, we're gonna make a bit of money in this. <laughs> And obviously we were in the fight game anyway And then, uh, I don't know, some chance of my brother was emailing the Ali Centre Or something was happening And uh, and they got back and said, look, at this time uh, on, I think it was November I think it was 2008 I'm not quite sure if it was November, I think it was around November But they emailed back, say, look, we're gonna, we've got 20 places to come to Muhammad Ali's house for, for brunch um, because um, Lennox Lewis is going to present Muhammad Ali with uh, th- $100,000 from the Celebrity Apprentice which Trump, oh, yeah, Trump right was down. doing back then, oh, yeah. and Lennox Lewis was on it, and he won- I think he won it or, or won, something happened. Won 100000 Yeah, 100000 So for some – I don't know how it all come about. My brother was just on to, you know, just emailing and saying, yeah, we'd love to come over, and, and then um, he went over there to do like a signing. That was the first trip. And he, he met him and he was like, oh, yeah. And then the second trip come and they said, oh, look, it's $5,000 a ticket. You actually come to Muhammad Ali's house and have lunch with us and sit around and take a look around his house. What? And Yeah, that was, that was in Louisville, Kentucky. And that was like, a, oh, I just, I just couldn't believe it because my old man grew up talking about Ali yeah. and I'd seen all Ali footages and it was just like, wow, this, you know, this is the pinnacle of meeting someone. Ali's like the pinnacle in... You know, the humanitarian, the the mm. best in the world, boxing. Just. Had everything of everything, you know. So when my brother said, hey, look, we're going over. And uh, so he bought the two tickets and we flew over there and then, we, yeah, just going into his house. And they said, you know, Muhammad Ali's just getting ready. And and then uh, Lennox Lewis walks in and, yeah, we're sitting talking to him and his wife. And, yeah, it was just one of those, you mm. sit there and shake your head and go, I'm in, Ali's, I'm in Ali's <laughs> house. Where's something? I've got to take something so I keep tripping. <laughs> so I keep you know, sober as a judge. I didn't want to let anything go past. Yeah, you know? yeah. So I was, I, was, I was just tripping out just on, on life. And I was like, damn. And then Ali comes out and then, you know, we sh- he couldn't really talk that much yeah. at that point, but just shaking his hand and just seeing the, the guy in flesh, you know, he's just like the presence. Man. Wow. Just yeah, the it, was, it was. It was the presence of being in his house. And I, you know, how many other people in this world yeah. are getting to do sit here and yeah. and 
Have lunch with him. Well, have lunch a, with he's him. a fucking superhero. 100%. Like he's a real life fucking superhero. And that's and I think that's at that point I was just that just all over the shop. I just didn't take that all in. I was just like, fuck, this is Ali. I'm sitting here, Ali. And he started to sign shit for us. And we're like, damn, man, that's like straight from the man himself. Yeah. And then they said, oh, here's lunch. And, you know, they put on this lunch. And I mean, fuck, the prawns, man, were like a steak. <laughs> I was like, fucking hell, man. I didn't even want to eat. I was just too busy worrying about, oh, look at oh, this dude, man. Oh, he's chewing. He's chewing. And <laughs> looked around the house. And, oh, and then Lennox Lewis sat down and chat to him. And, Oh man, it was just that day then, and uh, yeah, it was just like I was just that adrenaline was going and pumping. I just I finally met the the icon that mm. he is, mm. and it, and it is all true. When you're in his presence, it was like, man, this is Muhammad Ali. This is crazy shit. Not only that, I'm at his house. Yeah, oh, that's like right. who can say you know? You know I just had lunch with Ali at his house. <laughs> what? I <laughs> fucking know they did. I sat there. Cost me five grand, but I still sat there. <laughs> I'd pay that in some kind. And then Fuck. we, there, yeah. So after that, then it was, then after the brunch or lunch, then it was off to, because um, the Kentucky Derby was on that afternoon. So we, me and my brother, yeah, we just went, right, oh, we're going to the Kentucky Derby. So we went over there and, uh, oh, that, you know, there's thousands of people there and it's, it's the biggest race. It's like a Melbourne Cup in, in mm. Kentucky in the US. So we'll just – and it's $500 a ticket where you could see it. And we obviously didn't have any more money. <laughs> <laughs> we'll broke ass of that. Selling memorabilia at the front of the oh, derby. Oh, 100% <laughs> Ali. And they're like, that's not real. <laughs> like, it is. <laughs> but we're just down in the in the rafters just watching the races on the TV and we're just – oh, we're into the drink, bro. We're just like boom, boom, boom. And we had another mate who was travelling with us. He didn't come into Ali's house because he didn't pay. So he just sat out in the car for the full three hours or something. <laughs> oh. He ended up being a grub anyway, but nah, uh, fuck him. Yeah, fuck, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, then yeah, we finished at the Kentucky Derby because we had to fly out. I think to, I think it was either New York the next day or Vegas the next day. And me thinking, you know, the flight's going to be a two-hour flight from just there to there, and and I was fuck, we'll be blind. <laughs> we finished at the Kentucky Derby, then they had all the all the. Um, the hood dudes, you know, like who live in Kentucky, like, yeah. like the heavy, the blacks. And we just walked on over to the house and we just joined in the party. Yeah. And they were like, Yeah, hey, you did, get up there, get up on the, we're on the balcony, music going, everyone yeah. dancing. I'm blind. And they're like, You're from Australia. <laughs> oh, blind, kept drinking. Then next minute, the mopeds come out. Oh. So next oh, minute, man. at night, we're on the mopeds going around Kentucky. I had my mate who was with us, traveling with us. Blind, just riding around, and I hit this gutter. <laughs> He's gone boom into the bushes. <laughs> He's gone, ah, oh, I'm hurt. I thought, fuck, I've killed him. And I'm blind. Oh, I just picked the bike up, wheeled it back, and he'd come back. He was all smashed up. <laughs> oh, and I got home, or we got back to the motel, and I didn't realize because I was that maggot. So I just off with everything, the clothes, and I was just laying on the bed, just obviously spinning. And obviously, my brother takes the good photo, doesn't he? While yeah. I'm just paralytic, <laughs> blind, <laughs> naked on the Spread bed. Eagle. Yeah, and that photo never got sort of seen until I had the family time at home. <laughs> hey, guys, this is the trip. Put it all on the TV. <laughs> this is it. Yeah, to the wife back then. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what that one is. <laughs> Me nude on the bed. She was like, Oh, we met Muhammad Ali that day. <laughs> yeah. That was Ali. Uh, that, that's, Ali that yeah. If I had known the same. Anyone want KFC? <laughs> like, oh you're God. in Kentucky too. <laughs> yeah, I know. There's no KFC there, but 
Oh, so that was a that was a really trip for that whole day. And then the next day we had to get on a plane early in the morning, and it was a five hour flight too. So I was like absolutely hungover. I Crook the, as I had the old washer on me forehead, and oh, it was bad. It was bad. So, but anyway, we ended up in Vegas. We done uh, that year or that trip. We done six days, uh, six days, six cities. Fuck. So we went to LA, then we went over to New York. Then we went to the, uh, Philadelphia, Louisville, Kentucky, back to Vegas, and then that. So 50 hours in the air we spent just in those six days, day and a half in each city. Oh, bah. And it was, it was a very crazy time. And it was only me and Rob, I think, and, and our mate doing it at that time. Yeah. But, um, oh, plenty of Vegas trips that we've – you know, sometimes only just recently, I think our last trip to the US was two days. Yeah, fly over there two days. Wednesday, back. back Saturday. When was this? Only just really like before COVID. I think oh, it was yeah. like uh, I think it was either last year or the year before. Because um, Mike said or Kiki's uh, email said, yeah, you can come over and Mike will sign all these all these uh, gloves for you. Oh shit! So we just go to his house directly in Vegas, and then he just sits down with us, and he'll just sign, and we'll chat, and he'll smoke his hooter and do whatever. And um, so we flew out Wednesday. And yeah, got straight in there, Got went to Vegas, spent the next day just driving around Vegas, then went to his house and then drove from his house to LA and jumped on a plane the next day. So we were only over there for like two days, the quickest trip. Basically spent one one whole night in, in the US Fuck. and two days flying. Fucking, fucking the quickest trip That's I've ever done. Night. That's just more like oh, a nightmare, oh, bro. <laughs> That's why when people say now, hey, come, come on a flight or a trip, I'm just like, bah. I don't know, I hate airports mm. now. I'm just like sick and tired of travelling. You've got to be able to justify the fucking flight, eh? Oh, now you do. Now you do. I've got to have something good at the end of it to go, yeah, I'm, I'll cruise over there, you know? What's something good? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Could be anything, you know? It's whatever anyone's offering. But now, because I go to Hawaii, like I went to Hawaii last trip, and uh, that's where I'll I'll spend a couple more trips to go over because all the boys, the Ruka crew and the, the boys on the North Shore mm. – uh, man, there's some there's some old legends over there on the North Shore that I got yep. to hang out with who used to hang out and be good friends like Andy Irons and all that. So yep. I'm just like hanging with those crew who I used to see on the footages, documentaries. I'm like, that'd be hectic. Man, these dudes used to be the the, the boys, you know, mm. and they still are. Like Kai Garcia is one of the you know, legend watermen. Yep. You know, Leif Robertson, who's in the Boar's Nest MMA up there, and he's just one of the legends who used to be there. Um, oh, the list goes on with. Uh, some of the Nainona, he's just one of the Bellator fighters coming through. I've done some work with him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, man, just Hawaii, I love love it over there. Oh, it looks – I've never been on, on a really? thing. Really? But um, I'm dying to go over there, just go surfing. And oh, the surfing's – even on their crap the day is yeah. beautiful, you know? All the rest of it. I probably won't even get a wave over there. But, <laughs> but the North Shore, the North Shore you've got – gas chambers, you've got a lot of, lot of uh, breaks there, so mm-hmm. you can go and spend time at all different stuff. But oh yeah, I've always, I've always wanted to go over there. It just looks just. I love the island, island setup. Island and life. nothing up in the North Shore. There's nothing to do. Yeah, there's no clubs or pubs or anything. It's just hanging out, surfing and training. That's yeah. it. Mm. No, that's down it. Waikiki is where it's all happening yeah. down right. there. But that's an hour <coughs> away, hour away from the North Shore. So, but I love it over there. I wanted to ask you like you were talking about. You were with Muhammad Ali. Obviously, you had a few knocks to the old noggin. Yeah, yeah. Um, have you adapted your training style or anything like that, or taken any sort of because like, I reckon I've got a bit of CTE from football. Do you reckon like, you can see that in fighters and trying to adapt oh, you can def- style? Yeah, you can definitely, you can definitely see it. Yeah. Back away, we're, we're, 
I'm really about the my brother and I are really about the health of the fighters. Like yeah. it, even at the moment when there's COVID going on uh, and there's no fights scheduled in, like all the boys are sitting there, they want to they want to spar. Yeah, but we just don't allow them to spar because why why take why take head trauma yeah. when there's no need to. You know, so I just we just don't allow them to do that. Out, you know, the health of the fighters is the main thing. Mm. You know, if they they're getting less hits to the head, then that's good for them. But uh, being around, you know, a lot of the fighters over the last twenty years and or nearly thirty years, yeah, there's there's some mm. fighters that I won't name, but yeah, there's there's definitely some there's some trauma there, you know, and it's like wow, there's something's going on, you know. Do you Which, feel you might have something like that? I'm not quite sure. As I said, I, I think I was lucky enough where I was I was too too scared to sit there and punch on. Yeah, you know, uh, I didn't want my nose to be busted up too too badly, even though it bends to the side a bit <laughs> from uh, getting kicked in the face a fair bit. But um, that's why I was just always trying to do kicking, spin kicking, and mm. all that just to keep that distance. And but when I had to get in and punch, and then I'd punch. But uh, I, I don't, I don't think I have. I don't think. Mm. But then again, that that. How would you know with that yeah. stuff? You know, you'd think you haven't, but you have. So it's um, – but I haven't had any tests and I don't think I, I took that much trauma yeah. in regards to that, you know. Because I can feel it with me, like with my short-term memory loss and slurring me words and stuff. Yeah. I don't know if something's happening up there. Yeah, yeah. Let me get a uh, MRI. I or have. Something. Have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah MRI. Right, true. I've got to get a blood test and go get the results. Yeah, true That's that. That's the next step, yeah. Oh, well, let's hope uh, nothing's up there. Right. Yeah, bloody earth. Mm. Hopefully everything's uh, good on that side. So all the all these crazy things you've done, it's um, you've you've done them all with your brother. Yeah, how's that been? Because I'm the oldest of eight, and me and my brothers are so fucking tight knit. But like to be able to, even when I went over, my brother was in Europe playing footy for a bit, and then I went over there, and we're going traveling from a different place like this. He was, I was like, fuck, this is like. I could have done it this with any of my mates, but I'm doing it here with my little brother. Like yeah, this yeah. is fucking unreal, kind of setup. Yeah. How, how's this been doing it with just you and Rob? Well, that's that's pretty much how life's been. Yeah. Ever since living in hotels, because mum and dad were working all the time, so all we had was me and him. Yeah. And, and that's ba- why bouncing around and shit. So just you. Yeah, and yeah. So how, me, how much is the age difference? Three years. Oh, that's it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm true. I'm three years older than him. Yep. But um, as I say, he got all the weight. Mm-hmm. I got all the looks. Yep. And, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I got none of the above out of my family. <laughs> but uh, man, you wouldn't, as I say, like you know, some people look at our relationship and are envious of it because we're we're that close. Mm-hmm. Um, all our lives, wherever we've moved, whatever city we've moved, we've both moved together. Yeah. You know, because now nowadays our coaching is, you know, he's he's right into the boxing. I can do the boxing and I follow his sort of lead in, in the boxing because he's got some great insights. But the MMA and the kicking and all that side, that's totally just my side of things. So we just it's just a great mix. You know, we can cater for all three, Muay Thai, boxing, MMA, you know, we can cater for all that. So, But not just to do with the fights, it's just our relationship, you know, when our mum was alive and, you know, even when... You know, mum and dad used to fight. You know, mum used to come in at three in the morning, drag me and Rob out of bed to walk the streets to get away. You know, why mum and dad are spewing at each other, you know. But everything we've done has been together. And that was pretty much like our mum's wish, to be honest. You know, like she's always all about, you know, you've got to love your brother, you've got to love your family. And mum was really family and love orientated. But just... Knowing, I think me and Rob know deep down what we've both been through and what we've done for each other. Um, I think that just is an unbreakable bond. 
And even to today, you know, like if Rob has a, a major win on the punt, you know, if he wins 20, 15 grand, 20 grand, he'll go, yeah, no, nah, buddy got that up and he, you know, sends me a couple of grand. Yeah. You know, like, and then if I've had a win, you know, not that I have that big of a win as he does, but, you know, <laughs> I'll throw him a thousand, you know, yeah. like it's, we've just got that, that bond where that, that's our circle. Yeah. You know, we, we've let other people in our circle over the years and they've, and they've gone behind our back and tried to do what we do in regards to business-wise and, and training-wise. And uh, it's all been about money for them, so it's like getting stabbed in the back. Yeah. So we just, you know, there's some, some even after 12 years of friendship, you've just got to let them go, bro, you know. Mm. If they're not into that, you've just got to let them go. And that's, I think, for Rob and I, is that understanding that we trust each other, we've got each other's back no matter what. Yeah. And even when we're both married... Even the wives couldn't even get in, in sort of involved in between us. Yep. Like if Rob and I have a spit at each other, we'll have a yell and we'll spit at each other. We won't talk for half an hour, but we'll text or we'll ring. Hey, what's going on? Sorry, man. No, no, man. What's going on? Love you're, him. No, you're love a fuck him, with you. I love him, man. <laughs> no, it's funny when you said that about your mum's wish. Like it was uh, one time me and my dad were on the piss and fucking having an argument like we used to all the time. Yeah. And then it was a big bust up kind of thing. And dad's, me brother's kind of got in between us and he's going, don't dad because if you do mm. fucking that's my brother yeah, yeah yeah and like as cut as dad was and he fucking got the shits and walked out and all that yeah as cut as he was the next day when he settled down he goes you know that's all i've ever wanted for my boys for mm. you to just fucking stand up for stand up for each other and yeah, just yeah, nothing yeah. can split you up and nah. he goes that was he goes as shit of a situation as it was that's one of my proudest moments yeah <laughs> and that's it's crazy when moments like that happen you oh, know yeah. and that's what it's been like for me and rob just everything we've done we've done together we involve each other in everything if we hear a a good tip, and each of us know it. If we're going to do something fun and fly to the US because we're going to meet someone like Ali, both of us are doing it. Mm. You know, it's like we're we always there and want to experience everything together, yep. and I think that's just been our life since the pub days, you know. Is, do you own Steel City with your brother? Yeah, yeah. 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 We hey, both own yeah. and run that. Just two years? Yep. And how's that work out? Would you, like, who does? Oh, well, really, I mean, the Steel City is just a base, to be honest. There's no yeah. money, really. When you're training fighters, there's not much money in it. You know, yeah. Unless you get up to the elite and you're making, they're making millions. You're making a few hundred thousand, then there might be some money made. But you know, the the box fit and all the rest of it, when they pay direct debit, that it's just yeah. a base for us to train fighters out of. It doesn't oh, make yeah. us a weekly wage. We make we make sort of wages elsewhere. Training um, the big guys. Yeah, I'm not even training the big guys. Uh, even uh, you know, like on the punt, like professional punting, oh, yeah. gambling that we do, um, sticking to the systems, mm. not just throwing money in, into anything. You got to stick to the systems. Memorabilia. When that was all, when the shows were going on, people would order memorabilia through us, and would order it through distributors, frame it up, then send it off. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of money, especially at the start when we started memorabilia. There was you know, there was a good good money to be made. But it's just like you've got to have four or five different streams of income these days to yeah. be actually making good coin. And uh, the fighting is is that way. You know, I can make memorabilia, promotions, coaching, the classes. If I want to take some money there, there's money to be taken there a little bit. So, um, But we're just happy to, you know, one, live this life. Yeah. It's pretty a, a freedom life. It's like only work like an hour a day, <laughs> if that. You know, yeah. and I'm only sort of tra – and I'm training – you know, I'm keeping my body fit at the same time as, as as coaching. So that's what that's what I love about this sort of style, this life. Mm. Have the inquiries gone up for like fighting at your gym? 
Uh, what, since Mark and Ty and that had been here? Or oh, just, just in general, just because the fight game oh, sort of taken off with the MMA and the fucking... All yeah, different, different, um, all like, sort of yeah, some MMA, because it's not really... To be honest, Newcastle hasn't really got any real big name fighting fighters at the moment. There's a lot of gyms around and, and there's got the... The ones who the Instagram fighters or the people who just want to, who are just happy to go in there, raise a sweat, learn how to kick and punch, and they're happy with that. There's there's just a lot of that, if not everything's that at the moment. So uh, you know, when you get other guys who are going up for MMA fights, they'll come from different gyms and come and do some striking with me. But I, I don't really have anything like, oh, I know you're from that gym, you don't come here. I'm, I'm open to everyone because yeah. everyone's got to learn. And if I've got knowledge and I'm getting paid to to give that. Then come along. Uh, some people I just I help out and and don't charge, you know, because I, I want them to win this title or I yeah. want them to really go well. Um, but they you know, I think since Jane, uh, not so much James Turner, Justin Murray, I think since when he when the fighters like him finished in uh, in Newcastle, that's when the hungry hungry fighters like Andrew Perfilli and Justin Murray, who I would say are two of the the hardest fighters that Newcastle had produced in MMA. Yeah, you know, and I still like to this day, they're still the toughest fighters in Newcastle. And with my respect, that's when people say, "Oh, who do you class as the best in Newcastle?" It's Justin Murray and, and Andrew Pavilli. You know, just tough, mad dudes who train with some good dudes, James Tahuna and all that. But just in their own right, we're just tough, just tough fighters and hungry fighters. You know, how and do since- you how do you feel about when you see on the side of the road? Because I hate it, per- I don't know, how, how do you view it? Because I used to box a little bit when I was younger and that, had a few fights and stuff, and then when you go to just say your everyday PT and they're trying to say, oh, yeah, well, this is boxing and this is how you do it, mm. I'll grip my teeth sometimes and go, it's not how you fucking do it. Oh, <laughs> What's that like you for like every second fucking PT thinking they're a boxing trainer now? What's yeah, that? I just, I, you know, because at the, at the end of the day, I've just got to keep real with what I know mm. and what I know is and what I try and gather as knowledge is the art of of boxing or MMA or Muay Thai, when they're, when they're sort of throwing – and I get a lot of the group fitness people who are PTs come to me to learn the basic combinations yep. and pad holding. Even pad holding is an art. Mm. If you can't pad hold, you know, some pad holders are like this and no one's head's this big, mm. you know. So how do, you, how do people punch accurately without putting it in close to your face? So there's an art to pad holding, but you do, you do get the ones – uh, the ones that are you know out there and just earning money and just going you know this is boxing and I've learned it and I'm off these people who are registered boxing coaches and I, you know hey I, I don't dispute anyone's dream of making some coin mm-hmm. the the ones who who uh, try and come in and try and say oh you know what do you, what do you, you know I've had some people come in and oh, I want to learn how to do some PTs and um, how to how to throw boxing punches or kicks or whatever and then they how, what I get taken back more about is when they come in and they go i want to book him for pt but firstly we're like what what have you done like i'm like well <laughs> if you don't that to you yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what have you done you know because uh, and i've had like people go oh you know there's a lot of there's a lot of wannabe coaches who just really don't know what they're doing and you know i want to learn i want to learn proper boxing or proper muay thai so, and what have you done and i'm like uh i'm just been in the game for 30 years that's 
that's pretty it. much all I've done. <laughs> that's it. But then obviously <laughs> yeah, I just. But it's go- a good question to ask. Imagine if they were asking fucking Joe Blow down here. Hundred percent. Little fucking shit. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. What have you done? Oh, you know. Yeah. Cert four. So, some of them are genuine when they go. Oh, so what have you done? And I go explain. Oh, you can you can go to my website. Just have a browse through that. Just see what the prices are. See what the training is. No worries. That's great. Thank you. And as soon as they have a look at that, they're like, "Yep, I'd love to book in. Right, you know, book yeah. in. No worries." It's the ones with the attitude, you know, who because they've done the backyard boxing mm. and they're training in the garage and they come in and go, yeah, I want, you know, I want to do the right thing and learn. Uh, and what have you done? Mm. Like, <laughs> what have you done? Too cool for you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> bro, don't come with that attitude. <laughs> I'll tell you what I'm just about to do. Bitch slap you. <laughs> but, Dan, I don't, I don't harm anyone with a, with a dream to, to do fitness for their life because it's a – as I say, mentally, it's a good thing for a lot of people to, even if they're just throwing straight punches into a pad, mm. mentally that could could help them a long way, you know, especially especially kids these days, you know. All right, so uh, I've got a little wrap this up. I'm going to pick my young fella up soon. Yeah. So. What's next for you, mate? Uh, I think once, once sort of Mark finishes up um, with, this, with this camp uh, for the 31st of October, um, then we're sort of going to be uh, – yeah, see what happens after that. If he's going to continue fighting, there's other, a few other things that have come to us um, negotiation-wise for for building other things elsewhere. But at the moment, we're just sort of happy to be here in Newey and just go right. I will. As soon as Mark's you know finish his fight, then uh, yeah, I don't know. Just see what what goes on. Did I ask if there's a venue? They got a venue set for it. Uh, they're looking. I think they're Bank looking at um, Townsville. That's the word on the street is Townsville because it's Jeff Horn and, and Tim Zoo. Not just that the COVID. Yeah, you far can, away you from can, COVID is possible. Yeah, you can sort of pack the uh, stadium yeah, yeah, with okay. people, and then pay per view obviously goes to other yeah. states. Uh, they were talking New Zealand at one stage, but then um, then Gallon couldn't get that time off okay. uh, from the footy show and all the rest of it, uh, so he couldn't quarantine for two weeks. So. Yeah. I think they've booked the venue up there f- twice, which is cheaper for them because Tim and Jeff Horn fight, mm-hmm. and then after that will yeah. be the October. And I think it's at this point it's the thirty first of October. That's all we really know. Whether that may change to Wednesday, who knows? Mm-hmm. How do you see that fight going uh, with Mark? Yeah, Mark um, yeah. I mean, as I say, I, I give I give due to to Paul because yeah. he's come from football. He's tra- he trains properly. Uh, with his coach, he does the does the fights, um, but at the, at the end of the day, um, you know he's he's been tackling guys for twenty years, mm. and Mark's been knocking them out. Yeah, so that'll be the that'll be the telltale for me. Where and and I'm going to have or we're going to have Mark super fit, and mm. there's there's three or four things that we've worked on for Gal because we know and watch footage of Gallon, so there's three or four things that we know that we'll catch him with. Mm. Um, and as I say, Mark's very good, good eye. Mm. So he knows when to sit, when to punch, and when he does punch, he, there's a lot of power in those punches. So if I can get him down to again, 120 kilos, yeah, and he's and he's actually fighting fit at 120, down to 120. <laughs> hey, well he started off 150. He's big man. You know when he when he first messaged me when I was in Hawaii, he was like, man, I, you know, I, I want to come and train. I've got to get get away and do a camp. And he was like at 150, so he's already dropped close mm. to 20 kilo, and another 10, and yeah, you you watch how just a lot of a lot of things that people are gonna presume that Mark's old, slow. This is happening. <laughs> Fuck no. You you wait till you see him throwing, and then you're like, 
damn, that dude, can, mm. he's still got oh, it. You, you hit you just once, you're going to stay it. <laughs> but that's the thing, like, that's, I think that's what their game game is, just thinking he's just going to throw one one or two. But, um, you know, the three little um, presents that we're going to be mm. there to give him, and, uh, man, that dude, he'll, he'll come out on top. But beyond that, just try to train Mark for whatever fights or whatever. Yeah, if he wants out. to stay, if he wants to go back, he'll go back home, and with that, obviously, uh, fight under the belt. He might go home and just spend some time with his family. I think he said he's going to build another house or something for him to live in because his wife's got the other house. Um, and then, yeah, there's negotiations. There's opportunities to do other boxing with if we can get the likes of other heavyweight boxers, you know, from the world over to here or us over to there. But, again, it's up to Mark. He's been in the game for 30 years, and if he says, yeah, I'll do another camp with you, then another camp it is. If he goes, I'm doing a camp with these guys, then I'll probably travel and – just do a couple of weeks at a time with him and just hang out and that's sort of the friendship we've got. So um, as a coach, I'm just I'm privileged to be, even though he's not in his prime, but mm. he's still at that level and you know, just to be a privilege to be a part of one of, one of the best to ever do it mm. is, is a big thing for us, you know. I can have. Yeah, mm. We love you, mate. I remember watching him. He was, when he came in here, he was just... We were fucking shitting ourselves. Like yeah. we said before, it was our first ever podcast. Yeah, yeah. We had nothing set up whatsoever. <laughs> I messaged him on Instagram. I was like, oh, yeah, would you begin to, like, thinking I'd never get a response. Oh, I know. He, he talks to everyone. Yeah, he, he, he talks to everyone. straight away. And he's he was good. just like, I went and picked him up. I was like, fuck, I'm a bit nervous, hey. He's yeah, like, ah, yeah. fuck that, bro. Nah, Don't worry about nothing. Man, him, and, him and Ty, like, they're from the hood, so they're mm. just, they're true. And that's why probably we get along so well because yeah. – we just try and be real as we possibly can, and uh, yeah. I know they they're a hundred percent real. So when you get real and real, they usually get yeah. along pretty and well. And gravi- they both gravitated towards you for your training, so they must yeah. fucking feed off that. Oh, I think realism, Mark's you know? just here for the filthy good time. <laughs> That's the filthy dog, <laughs> you filthy mate. <laughs> well, thanks again for giving us your time, brother. No you want to give that little Steel City of fucking plug? Steel City Boxing. Yeah, it's uh, Clyde Street on uh, in Hamilton North. So uh, where Strength Republic is, and then we're just next door to that. We've got the big steel city sign on the yeah. wall so everyone's welcome it's a big family there man and you know, yeah. you're learning the real stuff there so i can have and as always this podcast is brought to you by sage painting www.sagepainting.com.au for all your painting needs in the newcastle and hunter area do not hesitate to contact sean and their helpful crew they'll be there give you a good price and a good job mate i'll do it for you i love you slap a coat on the car What's happened to that computer?